0: From WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University, I'm Byron Williams and this is The Public Morality. Today, on The Public Morality, with the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. approaching, the Reverend Leslie R. White joins me to discuss the King legacy that's coming up on The Public Morality. Welcome to the Public Morality.
1: We've got to go on in Memphis just like that. I call upon you to be with us when we go out Monday. Now about injunctions. We have an injunction and we're going into court tomorrow morning. to fight this illegal, unconstitutional injunction. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read That the greatness of America is the right to protest for rights.
0: That was an excerpt from Martin Luther King's famous last address less than 24 hours before his assassination. This year, April the 4th, 2018, will mark the 50th anniversary of his death. In the 50-year aftermath, the King legacy, like other great Americans, has endured a tragic metamorphosis. It is hard to believe that the man who died helping sanitation workers' plight for dignity has posthumously become a spokesperson for many corporations, most recently the Super Bowl ad for Dodge Trucks. Joining me to discuss the King legacy is the Reverend Leslie R. White. Reverend White is the senior pastor of St. John's AME in Omaha, Nebraska, Pastor White and myself were colleagues whom we both served as pastors in Berkeley, California, and it was his vision to lead and organize the first citywide Martin Luther King Day celebration that continues in the city of Berkeley today. Reverend Leslie White, welcome to the Public Morality.
2: Good Brother Byron, I am pleased and proud to be a part of your excellent program and to have a time for us to talk.
0: Well, you keep talking yeah. like that. We'll have to hire you as my publicist. We'll have to say that. Um, well, <laughs> I'm available.
2: <laughs>
0: you know, let's begin this conversation. When you think of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, what what comes to mind?
2: What comes to mind is dedication, vision and a willingness to give one's life totally to what one believes in, carrying with them all of who they are as an individual created in the image and likeness of God.
0: Now, now I know we were here today to talk about the King legacy, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. Um, How did you feel when you saw the Dodge Truck Super Bowl ad using King's drum Major instinct sermon?
2: Well, <laughs> uh, the Super Bowl commercial, I was with a group of other uh, brothers and sisters as we were watching that uh, great game. And, of course, you know, when commercials come on, the chatter all picks up. And But when Dr. King's voice came through the speaker, the room went silent, really, and uh, began to uh, look at the television to see what was getting ready to come on, because it was uh, what Dr. King's drum major instinct, I believe, was the excerpt. And the room went silent pleasantly. You know, I think people were... You know, like, hey, you know, they're going to lift up Dr. King. And then when we all recognize it was a co opting of the King legacy, the King heart, uh, the King focus to a truck commercial, the silence, you could feel it changing to a stunnedness. And when the commercial went off, Byron, uh, interestingly enough, uh, there was just silence in the room. And uh, then one of the brothers had a comment, you know, one of them surprising-type generic comments. And it was then a sign of disappointment that the... Legacy of King, the words of King, the hearts of King would be co-opted to sell a truck. And uh, I think there was, without reservation, I could say, uh, there was a hundred percent gasp of disappointment that King, the, the, the thought of King and all that he means... To America and to the world could be somehow uh, captured in a truck commercial. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of like using a stick pin to fight off uh, a mad bull. You know, it, it, it was a crazy thing and um, disappointment. You know, to be very honest,
0: and, and, and that really gets into to. Um where they're not they're essentially, my words, not yours, um, there are two Martin Luther Kings. Um, there's the historical king, and then there's the one of myth. And so the Dodge commercial sort of gets at the myth. But I wonder, the notion of these two kings, so warring factions, how do you see that?
2: Um, I think that because of what Dr. King actually worked for, It is still an irritant in America. It is still uncomfortable in America. Uh, It still challenges America to be the best America. And this other king of which you modeled, uh, or as the way you put it, is our ability, is our willingness, our attempt to make king palatable. Since he has a holiday, let's sweeten him up. Since he is becoming uh, such an icon, let's make him lovable by our standards of lovable and let's somewhat empty him of his true uh, self, the, 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 the true image of him, if you will, the true the, the, the reason we have come to know him was not because he sold a lot of trucks not because the best sales in America to the commercial market happens on his birthday um, we, we have attempted to um, um, what pow- make him powerless uh, make you know so that we don't get at. What it really is that he was about, and to challenge us to be better than we are.
0: Now, ironically, that last your last answer. um, There are um, many today, young people in particular that I um, talk to here. um, They see King as the eternal dreamer, so he has no no relevance for them, but then he's been promoted as the eternal dreamer. So how do you un- unpack the king you described, the historical king, versus this eternal dreamer that, that a growing number of people, especially young people, see no relevance in?
2: I think part of our task with great people of history in debunking the uh, fantasy figure that we make of them is to help people to read new, to read anew his words, to listen anew to his speeches and his writings, to, um, watch anew the, the, that era of time. Uh, it's very difficult, uh, because we have a, you know, what have you done for me lately mentality. Uh, and, and we are very me-ish. So this altruistic man who could have been uh, a pastor of a magnificent church, you know, mega church, he could have been a college professor in the halls of academia writing books, could have been a college president. Uh, but he is working for garbage collectors to get good pay. That kind of stealthless nature is not what we fantasize about. That's not what we popularize. That's not, you know, working for human rights and being an advocate for humanity's improvement is not one of the uh, top career choices of a person getting a Ph.D. Uh, in these days and times. So we fight um, a fierce advocate of always trying to make uh, people uh, who are really great and dynamic and flawed people that we can love. Uh, without having to go out of our way, without having to extend ourselves, without having to embody or embrace what really he stood for.
0: And, and your last answer, I know he turned down um, the pastorate at at the historic Riverside Church in New York City, and was it Xavier that offered him the presidency, or do do you recall? I think
2: it was. Yes, it was. And then there was a church, I believe, in London. That's right.
0: Yes, yes.
2: that sought him, and and you know, in the in some of the books that depict that argument, you know, you get you get a real man, you know, deciding between creature comforts over against the uh, very rough life that he was having uh, as an advocate for human rights. And, um, um, and he made a very dynamic choice that in one sense could have put he and his family into the lap of luxury, uh, made him a great consumer, uh, made him, which would might make him more palatable to people, you know. But he chose to keep faith and to stay, and, and to not lose heart, uh, not lose hope in the possibilities of humanity. And so it's, you know, I, I think that we have to do, those of us that are king advocates, Uh, those of us that believe not just in King as the uh, uh, embodiment of human and civil rights, but those of us who believe in the equality for all human beings, those of us that believe that uh, America has the wealth and the power to make poverty disappear and to make inequality in all of its ways, and racism, come to an end. We have to continue to fight uh, for him, not just for him, but for the cause for which he um, spoke and for which he, he served. And, and, and let me just say one thing. This eternal dreamer, it's interesting that the I Have a Dream speech is, you know, is, is even termed the I Have a Dream speech when I believe the correct name is the canceled check.
0: Absolutely. And,
2: yeah, and many people don't know that King just didn't get up when announced he was the speaker on that day, and he said, I have a dream. <laughs> <laughs> he began with, you know, we've come here to cash a check. And, uh, 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 and, and so uh, that, that would open up the uh, great vaults of, of America to equality for all of its people. That part is a little bit too radical for American consumption. People fear. So we go to the point of saying there is this vision that we can have, it's just not yet here yet, but keep the vision. It's not yet here, but keep the vision.
0: <laughs> I, I, I certainly don't want to put words in, in your mouth, but but what I hear you saying is that the man who died on a balcony in Memphis is not the same one we celebrate on the third Monday in January.
2: No, I know you are aware of, uh, oh, man, I can't think of the the, the author or the poem. His, his, uh, Carl the poem. Wendell Himes. That's right, a dead man's dream. And he makes the statement in the poem, it's easier to fashion a dead man's image because he cannot rise up and challenge our image that we fashioned for him. And it's easier to name streets and buildings after him than to actually make that dream a reality. And so, um, yeah, that's not putting words in my mouth. It is that the king we lionize once a year uh, is not the king that um, brought a movement and brought a personality so large that it shaped America and, and shifted America Away from its uh, uh, racism, uh, tried to make America redeem itself. You know, as the FCLC FCLC's um, low slogan was to redeem the soul of America. Uh, we don't we don't hear that. You know, we want to think we are just fine. And uh, uh, so, the King we celebrate. You're correct, for me is not the king that actually
0: lives. You know, um, when I knew we were going to have you on the show, I, it, it just uh, it crossed my mind that when I had Tavis Smiley on, we were talking about king and poverty. And um, he reminded me and um, uh, about king's last sermon that he never preached that he sent over that day, the day he was assassinated, um, that was entitled, uh, Why America May Go to Hell. That person, right. I'm guessing that person doesn't get a holiday. No.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think we can say two things as far as looking at speeches. is Vietnam War speech, Breaking the Silence, April the 4th, 1967, and Why America May Go to Hell uh, that was scheduled for the Sunday uh, uh, that 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 Sunday he was to preach, uh, if he would not have been murdered, uh, would not have been. You know, as as we know, for breaking the silence, that was a bitter pill for both kings, allies and adversaries. They 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 really took that speech hard. Uh, because he really laid out where America stood and how the Vietnam War, where America stood with Vietnam and how the Vietnam War was so destructive to America and that he lost many allies because of his stance, and his adversaries were um, ratcheted up to get rid of him all the more. So, yes, if he would have preached, I mean, I can just imagine eyes rolling in church, you know, at Ebenezer Baptist Church that Sunday to come, that he would preach why America may go to hell. I mean, good gracious! Who would preach a sermon like that and get away with it, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, as you as you were giving your last answer, I, th- I think it's important to note um, when you said many of his allies—that was a coalition of liberal whites and blacks that were moving away from King because of his position on Vietnam—is that correct?
2: Correct. Very much correct. The the. The uh, Vietnam War, whether it was popular or unpopular, uh, it, it had begun to turn into a very negative thing for America, for, of course, the Democratic Party, and for allies in the White House that had been helpful in the civil rights movement, that had become... Somewhat supportive, if even they were forced to be supportive. Uh, They felt that King had betrayed them and that, uh, you know, America going to war, the American team got to be together. And here is this major voice that could sway people, not just because of, of his speech, but because of where he has stood, proven so over the last 14, 15 years of his public life. And uh, when his allies heard it, uh, when his allies even learned he was going to preach that sermon at Riverside, how they were uh, against him even doing it. And so, um, uh, no, if the king that was moving into the stage of foreign policy onto the stage of economic challenging of the practices of american capitalism that king as you well know became the you know dangerous man on earth or the dangerous man to american democracy Um, and he carried no gun had no gang was not a mafia figure, was not stealing, was not robbing, was not killing, but uh, he became the most dangerous man. So that's, a, you know, it, it's um, as we go back to the question of, you know, what king we celebrate, I think it is essential that this generation understand the risk he took in his day to thus challenge us to take risk now to make the changes to make better America uh, than it is right now.
0: You know, you you spoke about him being um, the most dangerous Negro in America. That quote,
2: yeah, most dangerous Negro. That's right. right. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: That that quote comes from uh, J Edgar Hoover, right, in 1963 after he after he gave the March on Washington speech, right, and and and, and ironically. Um, And I'd like to get your thoughts about this because history is so full of irony. I recall the night that King was assassinated. You know, what many believe was Robert Kennedy's best speech was when he informed the crowd in in Indianapolis that Martin Luther King had been assassinated and urged them not to be violent and talked about his own life and, and losing loved ones to violence. Yet it was the same Robert Kennedy's attorney general that signed off on hoover's request that king had round-the-clock surveillance from 63 to the end of his life and i was wondering how, how you how, how do you reconcile those two things
2: i reconcile them in a spiritual theological context when one reads the gospel of saint john as an example one reads passages that talk about Jesus having people that liked what he said, but they were afraid to come out for him, and that people who didn't like what he said because he was troubling their already troubled life. And by troubling, I mean uh, they had grown accustomed to living... In oppression. <clears throat> and so what Jesus was saying was even challenging them to not be comfortable with their oppression. Uh, Jesus was challenging them not to be troubled with their oppression, to be troubled with their oppression. So when you reconcile it, I recognize that in one way, Dr. King, uh, whether he was always you know, a Superman type, I don't believe. I believe that he, being human, had fear, second thoughts, uh, 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 times when his courage was low. But I reconcile that when a person decides to leave it all on the field, if you will, that they force people who once were against him or or once who tried to placate people who were against him, they now decide that they must go all the way for him. And that I just don't think it was a matter of Robert Kennedy just being for the man king, but for the mission of which civil rights
0: stood,
2: and that um, America, could be a country of immigrants, and I, I can't I, I think the uh, Immigration Commission just dropped that phrase out of its mission statement that we are a country of immigrants. And that uh, with Dr. King and uh, people like him realizing that uh, there is enough to go around for everybody, that we all have come over to a land, Having robbed the uh, native Indian of his land, that her land, that we need to be better than we are. We need to make life better for everybody, not just the chosen few.
0: You know, I can I can say this as a self-defrocked uh, pastor. Um, anybody who brings people to church by challenging them to a pool game is all right with me. So, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and see, uh, and you know, Byron, when you lift that up, I'm afraid that too many of us today, whether we are preachers or political leaders or people standing in the community, that we have allowed ourselves to allow a type of caste system to exist to where we want to determine, even amongst us as black people, who has a seat at the table, whose voice is creditable. Um, I remember the young man in Missouri, St. Louis, Uh, who was killed, and hearing our own people say something, uh, hearing other African Americans say uh, say that that young man may not be worthy of us fighting for him. And I think about, you know, with a certain amount of emotion, I think about all of the men and women and kids that were lynched, and hearing someone say, you know, that victim ain't worth fighting for. It's like, what? When did we get this way? You know, and so um, when, I, when I think about, yeah, what you said, Dr. King, to promote his program, went, took the words of Jesus, you know, went into the highways and the byways and compelled people. I think that without us, willing to do that, we leave a gaping hole for it to be filled with any old mess and foolishness that comes in as a doctrine or a way of thinking for people to make their life after. And uh, I remember in Dr. King's first book, in the appendix of the book, he talks about how in the montgomery movement that year how the break-ins went down home break-ins robberies went down uh, visits to the emergency room went down murders went down because the people were focused on doing something dynamic with their lives and i think that we overlook and we think that the, the mode is let's just stop people from doing wrong. No, we have to help people to do the right thing, to live a better life. And so uh, Dr. King also represented that in, uh, when, when he was willing to go to those places where people are and speak to them as human beings, with the image of God on them and, and human beings with value.
0: well you know one another irony here is that when you talked about when you compared um, uh, the police shooting uh, in in Missouri, in Ferguson, when, when you when you when you, com- yeah, for- when, when you compared the Ferguson shooting uh, and and some of the commentary of of, of individuals, I, I was thinking that it was uh, Jesse Jackson, Ralph Abernathy. Uh, Andy Young, who begged King not to go to Memphis because they had this poor people's campaign that they were working on. How could you stop and give time to these sanitation workers? So right. and very tragically, his history sort of repeats itself in the human condition.
2: Yes. And, and it's odd that, and, and I know people may object to this characterization I'm about to make, it's odd that we expect a certain sense of righteousness out of the enslaved and the oppressed who live in unstymied depravity live in poverty who live without opportunity who who live in a in a community that does not respect them. And yet we expect them to be uh, so-called righteous as as we would count righteous. And then when they end up living out the very conditions in which they live, we want to condemn them uh, that they were unworthy of any care or attention. And and I just want to add this. You know, I know we are in the throes of the parkland Florida shooting and, and all of that. I I feel for the, 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 all of the students in the school, I definitely feel for those parents who lost their children. I really do, but my God won't let me, uh, step on the killer. Uh, that young man whose life was so broken, so out of control, so hurt as to determine that the best way to keep that from happening is to is to start killing, is to arm schools, is to devalue people's lives. The only way you can murder and kill is to devalue. But Dr. King, in his own uh, time, talked about we will not become like those who've hurt us. And so when I hear certain people in supreme leadership in our country determine that the only way we can stop killing is to become killers ourselves, it causes me to cringe and recognize that, it, that that, too, is an outgrowth of having empty king of uh, his meaning and the human rights movement that he led, because, uh, you know, just like war, when we call them goops or spicks or whatever, that when you devalue an individual, then you can hurt them, because they have no soul, they have no value. They have no purpose. God doesn't like them, so I don't like them either. And uh, that's just ugly, you know. And that's not the way to redeem the soul. Uh, something happened to that young man, and and my goodness, it it pained me. And I, I'll close with this uh, this little section. It pained me to hear the uh, um, uh, parents that took that boy in, say, we had a monster under our roof. I mean, monsters live under everybody's roof. That's the only place they do live. They don't live under a rock. Uh, And this is what I'm closing with. I listened to an interview of, a matter of fact, on PBS, of an interviewer was interviewing one of the parents of the Columbine shooting. And the interviewer asked the mother, do you love your son? And it made me curse in my car, to be honest, when I heard that. And the mother said, yes, I love my son. You know, and, and I think about what do we think killing will redeem us? And the answer is no, it never redeems us. And so um, uh, I, 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 I hurt for the the. 17 that died but we know that's one less number than the total shootings at schools in america in 2018 that we've had so many killings so much mass shooting that we forget about them and we can only forget when we don't value human life and so i i I just say that just when you bring it up you know here goes this black preacher, Rev. Ph.D., his daddy, big-time pastor, and he's in a pool hall? Oh, yeah, man. It's like, <laughs> didn't, you know, didn't Jesus enter into places where even his followers questioned him on? Yes, they did. But is not that what made his ministry redemptive? And the answer is yes. That is redemptive ministry. So uh, I can only lift up King in that sight, in that context. And I may be, you know, I don't say wrong, but some may disagree with that characterization. But uh, I don't know redemption that does not require to go where the people in need of redemption are.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with the Reverend Leslie R. White, Senior Pastor, St. John, African Methodist Episcopal Church in Omaha, Nebraska. And we're talking about the King legacy. Um, you know, Pastor White, one of the things that, that we discussed, that we mentioned earlier, uh, when I mentioned that um, uh, how uh, how some of King's close associates did not want him to go to Memphis to help sanitation workers. And I, I guess on, a, on another side of that, D- Does that also not exemplify how difficult it is to, to when you're around great people? Because great people are always evolving. The king of, of Montgomery wasn't the king of Birmingham, wasn't the king of Memphis. And so we, we, yeah. there's a, there's, isn't there a desire to sort of put someone in a box for our comfort and not understanding that going to Memphis was consistent with who Martin Luther King was?
2: I have often said to my congregation in Bible study and from the pulpit that I don't think Paul would be a good friend. You know, we we may read a lot of Paul, but uh, I don't think that Paul would have, uh, you know, that, that Paul, you know, like to say, Paul had a hit list of people that he considered unfaithful. And uh, I often ask myself, would I be on that list? Because the evolution of an individual who becomes more engulfed, embracing redemptive activity has a tendency to have to make a decision between those who love him or her and the love of the calling that they have embraced themselves. And truly, the uh, king, as you said, of of, of 54, 55, was not, in evolutionary sense, the king of 68. I mean, even in his own, we, we can just kind of touch on this, even in Dr. King's own Baptist denomination, the Progressive Baptist Convention becomes a reality because of his expulsion from that original Baptist Convention because he would not embrace gradualism that the then president wanted him to, and um, so uh, the I, I think we don't we. We we put in ministry, maybe in theology,
0: truly
2: in church, we are do we are we are always trying to get rid of the cross, and um, you know that the, that the that maybe the question is: Are we just wearing a cross as opposed to are we bearing a cross? And um, we have made beautiful the cross of Jesus. But, um, you know, Jesus didn't carry that cross around his neck as an emblem of his faith statement. Uh, um, so his, the evolution of King to be the person that he, when he died, did cost him uh, friends, loved ones, I don't even doubt that it didn't cost him family to continue on the pathway that he was on, and I would dare say that it, that that was the way for many others that walked with him, that stayed with him, that they too faced those same challenges.
0: Um, you know, finally, I want to I wonder I want to run this by you that. It's not, and not just with King. I think we, I think we do with all great people of history. It's what I, what I call the Americanization. Um, so, in order to uh, ascend to greatness, we must homogenize you. Like we've homogenized, yeah. we've homogenized Jefferson, Lincoln, King, Roosevelt, Kennedy. Going so, you just going right down the list. And so, um, so for King, that the prerequisite does that not entail that you must defang him or unradicalize him in order f- to lift him up in the American um, ethos.
2: Byron, let me use this example, a real-life example of defanging. I was watching the All-Star Game basketball this past couple of weeks, weekends ago. Then TNT showed another, you know, had a re-airing of it. Um, on uh, um, Sunday morning. Early Sunday morning, I'm there watching it, and the airtime, the, the game was over with, and the programming added a game show, The Joker's Wild. You may remember that old game show.
0: Uh, that was before my time. Remember, that was probably when you were walking me across the street in walking shorts. That was, that was a long time ago. To <laughs> the
2: listening community, you better not believe that. But anyway, uh, the the I was shocked. I mean, not merely shocked. I was truly shocked. The MC for the show was Snoop Dogg, and I said, "My gosh, is this the same brother that we said was corrupting America with his rap?" You know his his and and he too has evolved, but the Snoop Dogg of the Joker's Wild had been defanged from the Snoop Dogg of the street.
0: Gin and he's Before, not gin and uh, juice, <laughs> huh? He's not gin and juice. <laughs>
2: no, he's not gin and juice. It's not bones and thugs. Right. You know, I mean, I I do own his CDs. And you look back at those CDs, the imagery of it, and you look at a brother with a suit on, making jokes, calling out games, you know, functions, and it's like, wow. Part of what America does in, our, in, in making someone palatable is that we debang them. Now there's a whole nother story about what Black America decides to defend, because some of them are too hard to defend. But um, uh, it is true that to make King's holiday, I mean, I I can remember people cringing when Reagan and/or Bush quoted King. And people that I was around were just like, oh, no, you're not going to say that. You're not going to use his words. Um, but, yeah, you know, they, it, it, it becomes uh, hypocritical for some. Uh, it becomes America, people in power uh, laughing in our faces um, and um, in the faces of the poor or the oppressed. And so I, I do recognize that the Dr. King that gained international note, Nobel Prize winner, is not the same brother that we celebrated January 15th or January 18th, 2018.
0: That was the Reverend Leslie R. White. Stay tuned for my closing remarks. Before that, here is an excerpt from Martin Luther King's last sermon at the Washington Cathedral on March 31st, 1968.
1: Ultimately, a great nation is a compassionate nation. America has not met its obligations and its responsibilities to the poor. One day... We will have to stand before the God of history, and we will talk in terms of things we've done. Yes, we will be able to say, we build gargantuan bridges to span the seas. We built gigantic buildings to kiss the skies. Yes, we made our submarines to penetrate oceanic depths. We brought, brought into being many other things with our scientific and technological power. And it seems that I can hear the god of history saying, that was not enough, But I was hungry and ye fed me not. I was naked and ye clothed me not. I was devoid of a decent sanitary house to live in, And ye provided no shelter for me. And consequently, you cannot enter the kingdom of greatness. If ye do it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye do it unto me.
0: Welcome back. My closing remarks are provided by the writer Carl Wendell Himes from his poem entitled A Dead Man's Dream. Now that he is safely dead, let us praise him. Build monuments to his glory. Sing hosannas to his name. Dead men make such convenient heroes, for they cannot rise to challenge the images that we might fashion from in their lives. It is easier to build monuments than to build a better world. So now that he is safely dead, we, with ease consciousness, will teach our children that he was a great man, knowing that the cause for which he lived is still a cause, and the dream for which he died is still a dream, a dead man's dream. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at byron at publicmorality.org. That's Byron, B-Y-R-O-N, at publicmorality.org. Our archive broadcasts are located at our website, which is publicmorality.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Also, when on iTunes, leave a comment. It helps our rankings. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook. My weekly column can be found in the Sunday edition of the Winston-Salem Journal, as well as Politics N.C., That's Politics, North Carolina. The Public Morality is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at The Public Morality, I'm Byron Williams.